talents of silver and 6,000 pieces of gold and 10 changes of raiment. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, saying, Now when this letter is come unto thee, behold, I have sent with it Naaman my servant to thee, that thou mayest cure him of his leprosy. And it came to pass when the king of Israel had read the letter that he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive that this man doth send unto me to cure a man of his leprosy? Wherefore consider, I pray you, and see how he seeketh a quarrel against me. And it was when Elisha, the man of God, had heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, that he sent to the king, saying, Why hast thou torn thy clothes? Let him come now to me, and he will show thee that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and with his chariot and stood at the door of the house of Elisha. And Elisha sent a messenger unto him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and thy flesh shall come again to thee, and thou shalt be clean. <clears throat> but Naaman was angry and went away and said, Behold, I thought he will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and strike his hand over the place and cure the leprosy. Are not Abana and Farpar rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? May I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. And his servants came near and spoke unto him and said, My father, if the prophet had bid thee do some great thing, wouldst thou not have done it? How much rather then when he saith to thee, Wash and be clean? Then went he down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God. And his flesh came again like unto the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. Now the temptation is to speak this morning from this section about Naaman the leper. I've read that passage of Scripture to point out a very dear friend of Naaman, whom he may not have considered a friend because she was on a different class level from himself. Naaman was a captain. He was a military man. He could say, go, and people would go. He could say, come, and people would come. He was one of the most outstanding leaders in all of that era. Naaman was like General MacArthur or General Eisenhower or General Marshall, one of the outstanding leaders of his nation. But he was a leper. And leprosy in that day was the most malignant, stroke-like sickness that could come to a person. He might be great at home. He might be respected as a husband. He might be well thought of as a general of the army. But Naaman was a leper all along, and he was destined to die. But he had a friend. And that friend was a great friend to him. He probably did not recognize this friend as a friend. As a matter of fact, she was a little captive girl. She was sort of a slave in the home. 
but she had something beating in her heart. She had a message that could change people's lives. And she gave that message. That's what a friend is. In Proverbs, we read, there is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. I would like to, this morning to talk about friends and the fidelity and faithfulness that is so essential in friendship. And how if a person is going to have friends, he must show himself friendly. And the friend seeks not so much to be understood as to understand. And the friend seeks not so much to have his own back petted or patted as to pat the other person's back and to encourage. If you are a friend to somebody, this means you are an encourager. But we know that sometimes friends forsake and friends stab in the back. And sometimes friends desert. You think you have a friend only to learn that that person wasn't really the friend you thought. But there is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. In the New Testament, we learn that that friend is Jesus. We also learn that when one receives Jesus as Savior, we are under mandate of the Savior to be a friend. A friend to the world. Now James reminds us that we're not so much to be a friend of the world as a friend to the world. There's a difference. You could be a friend to Khomeini in Iran. Now, if you were his friend, if you could say, he is my friend, I'd wonder about you. But if you said, I am his friend, that's entirely different. The difference is, a friend is one who gives more than he receives. A friend is one who can commend and compliment no matter what the other says about him. I heard an illustration the other day. When Abraham Lincoln was president, one of his cabinet officers had talked ugly about him with all kinds of ugly things, said mean things about him. And somebody came to Mr. Lincoln and said, what do you think of it? And he named his name. Mr. Lincoln said, that man is knowledgeable in his work. That man is efficient in his responsibilities. That man knows what he's doing. And that third party said, but Mr. Lincoln, don't you know what he's saying about you? And Mr. Lincoln said, you didn't ask me what he thought about me. You asked me what I thought about him. You see, a friend loveth at all times. And there are certain characteristics about a friend that I would commend to you this morning. 
And Naaman had a friend that had those characteristics, even though he probably was not her friend. He was her boss. He was her manager. But she was a friend to him. We have graduating seniors this morning, graduates of Western University, graduate of the high schools, and you are special guests this morning in the service. I want to commend to you this kind of friendship. And I want to encourage you to be that kind of friend as you go out into life. But that same message that is for you is for me and for all of us, each of us this morning. On our anchor broadcast this morning, we had two young men that shared a word of testimony. I appreciated that so much. They were here late in the night when we prepared that broadcast last night after the rally we had at Barren River. One of those young men said, I want to be a friend to Jesus. I like that. We sing a little chorus, a little song that says, I'll be a friend to Jesus. Now, let's look for just a moment at this little Syrian girl, or really a Jewish girl who was in Syria. She had been brought back captive, and she was in Naaman's home, and she learned that Naaman had leprosy. And she said to her mistress, would to God that my master were down in Israel because if he'd go down there there's a man of God that could tell him how to be healed and the word came to the king of, of Syria and Naaman ultimately was sent down to Israel and his ultimate cure by dipping seven times in the muddy Jordan River was a direct result of that little girl a maiden in the home of Naaman you see, she was a friend to Naaman. Now, there are four characteristics that describe this girl and a friend. Number one, a definite conversion. Number two, a divine conscientiousness. Number three, some definable convictions. And number four, a determined concern. Only a conversion experience will enable anybody to have a lasting spiritual strength. Only conversion will stay in a time of trouble. And this little girl, a little maid from Israel, had come to know the Lord. She reminds me of Daniel. Daniel had grown up in Jerusalem. He knew the Lord. And when he went down to Babylon and they said, eat the king's meat and drink the king's wine, Daniel said, I can't do that because he purposed in his heart. He already knew the Lord. He had had a definite conversion experience. And I believe this little Syrian girl had had a personal conversion experience. <clears throat> and I believe if we're to be a friend to the world, if we're to be a friend as we go out from high school and out from the university into whatever area God has called us, whether it's the teaching, the preaching, the business world, whatever it is, if we're to be a friend, then we need an anchor. Amen. We need an anchor, and that anchor is Jesus Christ. The Bible says, 
for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God and the wages of that sin is death but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord and in Ephesians chapter 2 for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God not of works lest any man should boast conversion comes by changing directions by changing roads by nature we're born on a road that leads down to destruction it's a broad road and we don't have to do anything to get on it we're born on it and ultimately when we come to the age of accountability we choose to go on in sin until the Holy Spirit begins to deal with our heart and we're confronted with the claims of Christ and if we're willing to open our heart to Jesus and receive him as Lord then while we're on that broad road going down to hell we stop Repenting of our sins, we turn around and we get on a narrow road that leads to life and home. The Syrian girl had done that. And if you're to be the friend the world needs so desperately today, you need that. A conversion experience that sets you apart from the world, from the crowd. If you're going to help a drunk, you can't be a drunk. If you're going to help somebody who's in trouble, you need to be out of trouble yourself and try to help them out of trouble. If you're going to lift somebody, you have to be up there to lift them. And if you're to be the friend, then you need the conversion experience that comes when we receive Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. History is full of men who tried to do something spiritual before conversion but failed but when they were converted they did a great work for God Jerry McCauley Jerry McCauley had great ambitions in life but he became a river wharf thief until God changed him and he became the servant of God in the slums Mel Trotter had tremendous ambitions for life and he got a lot of money he threw it all away and drunk in drink he became a stupid drunk and they tell us that when his little baby died he stole into the room where his baby's casket was and when nobody was looking he took the shoes from his dead baby's body and went out and sold them for liquor and in Chicago he was on his way to destroy himself from the lake when he passed the Pacific Garden Mission and he heard about the songs and he heard about Jesus he slipped into the back of that rescue mission and lifted his hand for prayer and when the invitation was given he went down that aisle into the inquiry room and received Jesus Christ as Savior and God changed Mel Trotter and he went out to become a friend to people in need destitute forsaken he started rescue missions all across America Sam Jones had great ambitions he was a powerful attorney a persuasive lawyer until drink got the best of him and it overpowered him and he became a stupid drunk a whiskey blighted lawyer until God changed his direction and then he became the most famous flaming fearless evangelist the South has ever known Sam Jones God did it and he became a friend to sinners. Pappy Reveal started out with a lot of ambitious dreams. 
He wanted to really be something until he was crippled in sin and drink and debauchery. And then one day he met Jesus and God changed the direction of his life. And Pappy Reveal started a rescue mission in Evansville, Indiana. And hundreds and hundreds of people came under the influence of that dear, precious man of God. A conversion experience that changed his life. B.H. Carroll came out of the Civil War. He was disgusted. He was discouraged. He was cynical. He didn't believe anything until he met Jesus. And God changed B.H. Carroll from an agnostic to a man who started the Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. And countless thousands of people have been influenced under the ministry of that seminary and the preachers that have come through the training of that seminary. You see, if you're going to be a friend, then you need to have something inside of you that that you can offer to people. If you're really going to accomplish in life what God wants you to accomplish, there has to be something inside of you to give to others. The, the, the arm of flesh will fail you. You dare not trust your own. You cannot lean upon your own strength. A conversion to Jesus Christ in which Christ takes over the possessions of your life. Secondly, this little maid had a divine conscientiousness. Webster says conscientiousness involves being influenced by or governed by or conformed to a strict regard to the dictates of the conscience. A lot of people disregard their conscience. They pay no attention to it at all. They just go right on. When you have a converted conscience and God has begun to deal with your conscience and you begin to listen to your conscience, God can use that to touch other people's lives. Some years ago, a man wrote a track called Others May, But You Cannot. And what he meant in that track was, there are a lot of people that can get by with this and this and this, and they can do all these things, and it never seems to bother them. But you try it, and you'll fall flat on your face. Why? Because God has given you a spirit-controlled consciousness that you can't disobey without great peril. And so this little girl, because she had a divided, because she had a converted conscience, began to listen to what her conscience was telling her to do, began to listen to the thing from inside of her heart, and God began to use her. If you're going to be the friend that God wants you to be, you need to listen to that inner voice. Thirdly, she had some definable convictions. Webster says that conviction is the state of being convicted. A person serving a prison term. Isn't that interesting? That's what a convict is. And a con- the word conviction is based on that word convict. And it means someone who has been changed, his thinking has been changed, everything about him has been, him has been changed so that he operates by an internal thrust that makes him a convict of that principle of Jesus that lives in his heart. I heard some time ago somebody ask a girl, uh, 
if you if she'd go to a dance I think it was a senior prom and the girl said no I can't go because my religion doesn't believe in that <laughs> that's a sad thing if the only reason you don't go to a dance is because your religion doesn't believe in it or your church doesn't believe in it something's wrong If there's not something inside of you that says regardless of what Baptists think, regardless of what the church thinks, Jesus inside my heart has given me some thoughts about this matter. And I'm going to do what Jesus says for me to do inside. We need definable convictions if we're to be a friend in times like these. Romans chapter 12 verses 1 and 2 says, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and perfect and acceptable will of God. The conviction of the Holy Spirit inside your heart as spoken to by the Word of God so that there, come to, there comes to your life some off-limits a conviction that life would be lived with a purpose. If a person lives to be 70 years old, he has 25,000 days to live. Why don't you jot that down and after church today, figure out how many days you have left. How many days you've already spent. And how many days you've got left if you live to be 70. And you've only got a limited time to do what you're going to do with life. To glorify God. To lift others. To be a friend. A definable conviction that there will be some off limits in my life. Loose living has to be gone. Of the 19 great nations that have risen to power and crumbled and ruined away, 16 of them have showed the early signs that America shows right now. They crumbled not from armies marching against them from the outside, but from internal decay. Amen. And that decay was based on lust, luxury, and liquor. Three vices that if we're going to be a help and an aid to the world, we need to know how to deal with lust in our own lives. A man is a fool who has an alcohol problem to go to a tavern and get a Coca-Cola. Those who are normal, red-blooded Americans, you're foolish to see how far you can go in exercising the lust of your mind and heart and think that you'll stop before it's too late. Man. A man is a fool who thinks he can play with rattlesnakes and not get bitten. I'm sure you read the story and I told our Sunday school class about it this morning. One of the men who raised the flag on Iwo Jima 
He was a hero. All of you have seen that beautiful picture of their raising the flag. There's an emblem of it in, in Alexandria, Virginia, or maybe it's Arlington, right outside Washington. We drove out to see that. And there's that, uh, we, the seniors who are going to Washington this week will probably see this. There's this beautiful emblem, a big statue, and they're raising the flag on Iwo Jima. And they're all heroes. One of those men was an American Indian. He came back to America after the war, and they made a hero of him. They went everywhere. Uh, he went around telling about how they did that at Iwo Jima. And everywhere he'd go in order to try to get people to buy bonds, some of the people he was with, the great patriarchs of America, would say, let's take a drink. Everybody drinks. Let's just take a little drink. At first he didn't want to because he had never taken liquor. He, didn't, he went through all the army without drinking, unscathed. But he could not take the pressure of popularity. And finally, they wore down his resistance and he took one little drink. And then he took another, and another, and another, and another, and another. He died when he was 32, a drunken sot. They said he spent the last two years of his life in and out of prison. That's the hero that raised the flag on Iwo Jima. And my heart goes out in indignation and anger to the liquor crowd that led him to do that. Amen. And my friend, if you're going to help people, you need to have some convictions that will say, no, I will not do it. Amen. Don't allow yourself the luxury of delving into something that might captivate you and lay your honor in the dust. If you're going to be a friend, we need to have a determined concern. This little maid was interested in her master, interested enough to do something. She could have complacently let him die. She could have said, well, I guess that's none of my business. If they wanted my opinion, they'd come and ask me. After all, I'm just a little maiden. I couldn't help my master very much but she loved him he probably didn't even know she existed he was not her friend she was his friend and she said I cannot be still and so she had a determined concern I wonder if we care enough about people to live differently, to love differently, to love purely, to study honesty, to speak earnestly to the unsaved. Lives of great men all remind us we can make our lives sublime and departing, leave behind us footprints in the sands of time. Henry Ward Beecher said every Christian is to be a power boat to cruise around the post, the outposts of life guiding lost people to the harbor of life. David Brainerd used to say, I care not whether or how I live or by what hardships I go through. I only want to win souls to Jesus Christ. 
George Whitfield said, I'm willing to go to prison and to death for you, but I am not willing to go to heaven without you. Roland Hill was called a madman. He used to give out tracts. He'd talk to people about Jesus. Everywhere he went, he witnessed for Christ. They'd say, you're out of your mind, Mr. Hill. You're crazy. You're just an old fanatic. One day, Mr. Hill said, yes, you call me a fanatic. You call me crazy. You call me out of my mind. But 10 years ago, when I went out to the mine, and there was an explosion, and there were 10 men down there trapped, and I came up, and I screamed and hollered at the top of my voice until help came, and we rescued those 10 men. Roland Hill said, you made me a hero. He talked about how good I was and how much a friend I was. He said, you say now that I'm a madman because I try to tell people how to stay out of hell, how to get to heaven. You call me a madman, it doesn't matter. I want to be a friend to the world. Beloved, I want to tell you, if you want to be a friend, have some concern about people who don't have what you have. Not just food. My heart goes out to the hungry. From time to time, I try to give to those who are in famine countries. And I think well to give more. And I think well to do without some food and send the money for that food that we give do without to countries where there's such a famine need. But I want to tell you, if we had enough food to feed every person in this world and we could feed them for 50 years 60 years 70 years and make their life a little bit more comfortable we've done something but we've done very little compared to what we do for a person when we give them the faith of Jesus Christ which enables them to live forever and forever and forever in God's kingdom heavenly city you want to be a friend you need a conversion experience you need a divine conscientiousness some divine definable convictions and a determined concern to go and go and go I dare you to do that there's one last thing a friend will be loyal a friend will be loyal A friend is not a friend just as long as somebody is friendly to him. A friend sticks closer than a brother when he has Jesus in his heart. And my beloved friend, I want to ask you, especially you who are graduating, get into your heart that conviction of loyalty to Jesus that says, I'm going to stick. My wife may not. My husband may not, my girlfriend may not, my boyfriend may not, my friends all around me may not, but I am. The whole world can desert Christ and his cause and his church and his work and his choir and his ministry, but I'm not going to. I'm going to stay, stick to the work of God. I challenge you to have a loyalty to Jesus through his church that will reach out a hand to others in a world that is so dark and perverse. May we pray. Our Father, we thank you for this opportunity to study the Word of God. We thank you for that little Syrian maid who was a friend. 
Help us to be that kind of friend that tells people the story of Jesus, that Christ died on the cross, shed his blood, was raised from the dead, and is alive forevermore. And may those who have never received Jesus come to know him today. In Christ's name, amen. Will you stand, please? I'd like to request that we not move around or leave during this invitation. This is God's invitation. I would like to challenge you. If you're here today and you have never received Jesus, you're only half alive. You're alive bodily, but your body's dying, but you're dead spiritually. And I say this with all the love and concern in my heart, God loves you. He loves you so much that he sent Jesus to die on a cross to take the death penalty, the sin penalty of your life. If you'll open your heart to him, he'll come in today and forgive you and cleanse you. Will you do it? Receive Jesus as your savior. Then come and confess him. Some of you in this room have already received Christ, but you've never confessed him. You've never openly let others know that Jesus is in your heart. Would you do that this morning for Christ's sake? There's some of you who need to come and say, I haven't been the friend to Jesus that I ought to be. I've been more of a friend to people than to Jesus. And I've allowed sometimes the entanglements of friendships with people to get my eyes off of my friendship to Jesus and therefore I haven't been to the friend of that person because I've been all tangled up with the affairs of this life. Listen, friend, if you want to be the kind of friend that you need to be to your fellow men, no matter who it is, your husband, your wife, your, your friend, your, uh, your, the one you date, your children, put your eyes on Jesus. Be his friend. Be loyal to him. Have those convictions in your heart that will honor him. And if the others don't understand it, just keep on being a friend to him, but don't go with him. Just keep your eyes on the Lord. And after a while, you'll be helping them. But if you turn and go with them, if you turn to your left or your right, and you do it in the name of trying to be a friend to them and you take your eyes off of Jesus and you're not loyal to him, then after a while you're not their friend and you're not helping them. I want to encourage you this morning to commit yourself to being a friend to Christ and through that, the kind of friend the world needs. Would you respond to God's invitation on that basis? Do what God tells you to do. It may mean coming to rededicate your life. It may mean to move your membership to this church. It may mean to come saying, I want Christ in my heart. I want to take a stand for him. While we begin to sing, who will come first for the king?